the evil of corruption reaches into every corner of the world. Corruption lies at the heart of the most urgent problems we face. Welcome to Confidential Brief, where Chad Thomas takes you into the stories behind the issues facing our society. I'm talking to Lynette Swanapool today. She is a medical aid specialist and advisor to the South African Fraud Prevention Services, as well as to the ACFE South African chapter. Lynette, welcome to the show. Thank you, Chad. Lynette, firstly, I must tell you that I have a soft spot for you without even knowing you that well, because you started your career in nursing, and my mom was a nurse. And when it comes to somebody that gives back, especially in that environment, I thank you for that. Thank you so much, Chad. Obviously, nursing is what's given you the background to be able to work in this environment. Um, tell us a little bit more about what it is that you are currently doing with the SAFPS and the ACFESA and why those two important organizations find it so necessary to have a medical insurance fraud division. Okay, well, I think let's start off with the ACFESA because that's where I started before I started at SAFPS. I chair the health forum there, and um, our main goal for that particular forum is to get the awareness out. Um, the public don't know enough about what's happening in the healthcare industry as far as fraud and waste and abuse goes. And um, a colleague and myself have actually co-written a training course where we can upskill forensic investigators. So, in other words, they'd first have to become a, conf- uh, a CFE at the ACFESA, and then they can supplement those skills with a healthcare course. And hopefully by doing that, we'll be able to stop the rogue investigators in the in the industry. And unfortunately, I'm ashamed to say it, but there are still some that exist that, that believe they can just take the law into their own hands. There are a lot of rogue investigators out there, and I think it's very important that organizations such as the ACFESA, together with the ICFP, and the, 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 the state regulatory body, CIRA, attends to ensuring that people have the correct training before they have the title or the obligation or the right to investigate any form of, of fraud or misrepresentation in South Africa. But let's talk about your area of expertise in particular. What has happened that has created this need for so much more investigation within the healthcare sector? Well, Chad, today I'd like to be able to say that there's less fraud in the healthcare sector, but unfortunately there isn't. Um, there's not an, an accurate measuring stick, but fraud has always been my passion. I've worked in this industry for about 25 to 30 years, and I'm hugely a stickler for towing the line, staying within the law. And I just think it's unfair to the public in general when there are certain members of medical schemes and healthcare service providers, brokers, internal employees, and it's a whole host of people will continue to perpetrate the fraud. And I believe that the industry needs to stand together to try and close up those loopholes. All of us are affected by it because many of us are medical scheme members, and it's our funds that are being plundered and, and used indiscriminately. Let's talk Turkey. Let's talk about examples. Um, if I can throw some out, I remember in the early 90s, people that were on the public service medical aid, which was in those days government employees, they had a vast array of benefits, and they would have a rogue optometrist that would give them sunglasses as prescription glasses, but the sunglasses weren't prescription. It was just cool to look at. Then I remember there was a case in Newcastle where a doctor owned a pharmacist owned a supermarket and he would issue a script for the pharmacist next door. The pharmacist would then issue a voucher and the people could then go buy at the supermarket food to the value of the supposed claim. Are those valid examples of medical insurance fraud and is it still so pervasive? 
Jade, yes, um, those are definite examples of medical scheme fraud, and sadly, uh, they haven't stopped. I think the fraudsters have become a lot more sophisticated, and obviously, as the investigators and the medical schemes and administrators up their game, the fraudsters are going to up their game as well. So what you're explaining now um, is what we would typically call a simplistic fraud, um, maybe for want of a better word, because it has the same sort of impact as any other sophisticated fraud. But that is definitely still help happening in the medical schemes industry, and a lot more. Give me an example of a more complicated medical aid fraud. Well, I can give you an example of a few years ago, and I'm not sure if it's complicated, but I do do believe it is. Um, It was a matter of a certain brand of pots that were being sold, and, and these pots were often very expensive and definitely out of the league of the man on the street usually. So somebody had an innovative idea to send some touts out there and turn it into a medical expedition, if we can call it that. So in other words, what you could do for a claim or or, or a few claims against your medical scheme every month, you were then able to afford the monthly installment for the pots. You got your pots, the doctor got his kickback, and everybody was happy, with the exception, of course, of the medical scheme. Um, I, I like to quote that one because it, it's just something that people have never heard of. I mean, the examples you were quoting now are the typical frauds or the ATM frauds where money gets changed hands in lieu of a claim against the medical scheme. And, you know, if we had the whole day, I probably couldn't give you enough examples. But I think the more elaborate frauds are happening now um, by syndicates. So it's not your typical fraud where it was a couple of medical scheme members colluding with a healthcare provider. It's now a number of different types of healthcare providers and institutes with medical scheme members, touts, the whole toot, and um, it becomes a syndicated event. So the pots, I, I, I can see the analogy with the pots in the supermarket and the writing off of medicine that doesn't exist. Anything bizarre that, that you've come across in the last couple of years? Well, there are probably a lot of new bizarre examples. I haven't been an investigator in the healthcare space for quite a while now. I've more been playing a coordinative role. Um, yeah, it's off the top of my head, I think one is equally as bizarre as the other. I mean, if you can sell pots, you're looking at the exchange of curtains, fuel for your car, um, Leather jackets, you sure. name it, your medical aid card, if you knew the right people, can get anything into your, your little store of wealth. And obviously they have to be working with healthcare practitioners for this to happen. Most definitely. So one would think, and, and I, I don't know, maybe we were raised that way, but when it comes to a doctor and the Hippocratic Oath and the amount of studying that goes in, we tend to put doctors on a pedestal. But you've come across doctors that are just as common criminals as, the, as, as, an, as another common criminal. I think that was, that's what keeps me going. Yeah. You know, you said earlier on that I come from a medical background and having taken some form of a Hippocratic oath myself, it irks me terribly that there are certain people in the industry that glibly take that oath and then out they go and defraud as many people as they can. It is, however, important to say that it's not the greater percentage of doctors. So those of us who work in that space feel like it's overwhelming at times, but it really is a small percentage of healthcare providers who continuously perpetrate this fraud in spite of having taken that oath. So the oath that you took was the Florence Nightingale oath. And I remember my mom at every opportunity reminding her staff when she was a matron in the hospital about the importance of that Florence Nightingale oath. And it just seems to me that today's 
I don't know what it is, but today we seem to have a numbness towards ethics and morals and even reporting of these individuals. People think, oh, you know what? If people can get away with it in high office, it shouldn't be a problem if somebody else is making a quick buck, but they don't realize the direct impact it has on them, especially with regards to medical aid monthly installments. Exactly that, Chad, um, and that's why I was saying earlier on it even impacts on me. And even if I wasn't a medical scheme member, I, I think from an ethical point of view, um, we all need to play our part in this. People need to be more aware of what their doctors are charging to their medical schemes. They need to be more aware of what they get in, so what's being dispensed to them or not being dispensed to them. And obviously you don't expect everybody to be a medical professional, but you need to be aware. And if this is all that we can get across to the public today is that awareness then I think we've already won a huge battle. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk about how you can get involved by reporting it. We're going to talk about Lynette's role at the SAFPS. And then towards the end of the, the insert, we're going to come back to the course that the ACFESA has that Lynette has, 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 has compiled. You're listening to The Confidential Brief with Chad Thomas on High FM. I'm chatting to Lynette Swanepoel. She's an expert in the uh, medical aid fraud sector. And I'm going to talk more about an organization called the South African Fraud Prevention Services, of which uh, Lynette is a, a active member as well as an advisor in terms of the sector. Tell us a little bit more about the SAFPS. All right, Southern African Fraud Prevention Service has been around since 2012 and was actually started by two of the major banks. And again, back to that collaboration aspect that you'll often hear me talk about. So the banks recognized that they needed to share information on confirmed or convicted fraud. So the easiest way, as we know in South Africa, it takes forever to get things through the courts. Confirmed fraud, in other words, if they've got a document that can inconclusively help them to lodge a court case, uh, 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 case with the police if they wanted to, it is confirmed fraud. They have the evidence, they can list that person on our database and over the years since 2011 we've grown to 55 members um, I hope I'm quoting the right figure at the moment. That could change at any moment. But um, So everybody lists their confirmed fraud on this particular database. And so to give you an example, if you were to go to a bank and apply for a loan with a fraudulent payslip or a fraudulent ID and they catch you out, they're going to list you on the database. And we all know that fraudsters don't stick to one organization. They'll move between sectors, between banks, between retailers. And this is exactly why we are in existence, to stop that movement. So that if that fraudster is declined by one bank and they go to another, that bank has a chance to mitigate their risk and turn that application down. That's very interesting. And the banks seem to be at the forefront of fraud prevention, um, both external, like you've just mentioned with the SAFPS. But I know they created a system many years ago called REDS, and that was created for staff movement because often people would work for one bank, move to another, and some banks had a policy of not giving references. So if you wouldn't know what had happened, but then they had the system. And if that staff member had been implicated in a fraud, they would be listed on the red system. So it's good to see organizations coming together sharing information. How did they move across into your sector and why your sector specifically, seeing that fraud is in most sectors at the moment? 
Well, I think if we're talking purely SAFPS, as I say, it was initiated by two two banks, and and so the rest of the banks followed suit. We have the retail sector, some of the insurers, and definitely many of our members are using our database um, for pre-employment screening. So that has not been lost sight of. Um, we are aware of the REDS um, database, and I think that works quite well. Um, but we also, as I say, we people use us to to screen their employees. Going a little step. Further, we've also had the cash in transit industry who have now, um, we've developed a ring fence database for them so that they can also begin to track employee movement. Very important. Lynette, I can see why you're in this position. Number one, you're passionate, and number two, you know exactly what it is you're talking about. Let's go back a step back to the ACFE South Africa. Um, what course has been formulated? And for those that are listening to the show that are involved in forensic investigations, how will this help them if they um, apply to, be, to, to, to participate in this course? Okay. Before we get anybody too excited, the course hasn't been rolled out yet. Um, so what we've done is we've, uh, we've written the training material. We've drafted and had our professional standards approved throughout the ACFE, and we're in the process of drafting our academic standards. Once those have been drafted, accepted, and approved, the ACFE will then assist us to get the correct accreditation for the course. And once that's done, we get the right um, trainers, and um, people can embark and register for the course. Well, I think getting excited is is, is, is the first move because it seems like a lot of the, the work has been done, and you're now obviously waiting for the NCURF standards, etc. But knowing the ACFE South Africa and knowing um, your background, I'm sure we, we're going to see within a year this course being active. I certainly hope so, Chad. I'm quite excited about <laughs> it as well. <laughs> Tell me, how can our, our, our listeners, because guaranteed somebody knows somebody who's committing medical aid fraud, who do they report it to as a whole? And would they report it to the SAFPS? And if so, how would they go about doing that? Okay. Um, no, it would not typically be reported to SAFPS. Or however, if it is reported to me, having been in the medical schemes industry so long, I have channels to to communicate that type of fraud to to the various medical schemes. Every medical scheme has a reporting mechanism. So it will differ from one to the other. Some use a hotline. Some just have a dedicated department or a dedicated person for it. So I would recommend to medical scheme members just to go and have a look on the website of their scheme. Um, and you will no doubt find a section that deals with fraud, and it will guide you on how to report it. Do you think that we're moving towards a more centralized way of reporting these frauds, where an organization such as yourself would maybe in the future be in a position to disseminate that and share it with whichever member company has been affected? I certainly think so, Chad, and that is what I've been tasked. One of the things I've been tasked with at SAFPS is to to start to get the medical schemes and the various role players, because remember, it's not just schemes as well. There, there are associations, there are regulators, there are councils that play a role here as well. But my role is to try and get the people to talk. A lot of people already talk. Um, they have informal sharing forums or sometimes even a formal structure, but it's not everybody that collaborates and shares in that. So I would love it if I could get everybody to start the conversation. In closing, you mentioned the SAFPS have around about 55 corporate members that subscribe to a database. But as members of the public, is there anything that the SAFPS does for them or is there any interaction the public can have with the South African Fraud Prevention Services? Absolutely, yes. So um, I, we have two more legs to our database. That's the confirmed fraud. We also have listings of people who have already been victims of fraud. Um, so somebody whose ID has been stolen. And then for members of the public, we 
offer protective registration. So if you've been robbed or hijacked or, or lost your ID even, you can come to us. We will register you on the system. We'll give you a letter so that if anybody tries to perpetrate fraud, it just makes your life and the credit provider's life a lot easier. We're definitely going to have Lynette back on the show because this is a topic that we can go on for absolute hours discussing, and that's fraud within the medical aid industry. Lynette Swanepoel, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for the opportunity. And I look forward to having you back soon. Absolutely.